Welcome to Grounding Grief, a podcast dedicated to talking about grief. I'm Ann Beach, your host. In this episode, I'll talk a little bit about grieving and the holiday season. My family is Christian, and so our rituals and stories are about Christmas. I'd love to hear about rituals of all kinds, including those based in other faiths. So if you like this episode, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And please follow us, write a review, or email me at ann, A-N-N, at groundinggrief.com. The Holidays. I think there is pressure on people to turn everything negative into a positive. But we should be allowed to say, I went through something really strange and awful, and it has altered me forever. The words of the Irish author, Marion Keyes. The Grievers' Holiday Bill of Rights by Angie Cartwright. One, I have a right to cry during the holidays at any time and anywhere. Crying is healthy for me. Two, I have the right to share about those I grieve during the holidays. I honor their memory in this way. Three, I have a right to cancel all holiday activity for myself. This is not selfish. I am honoring my own journey as I heal. Four, I have the right to do other activity without guilt or explanation. There are no rules when it comes to grieving. Five, I have the right to add more of my rights about grief because we all grieve differently. For those on intimate terms with grief, the holidays often become the dreaded holidays, a time when we so often sense we may lose our footing once again as grief revisits, is magnified, and threatens to overtake us. We are especially hard hit during those first holidays without someone we love. Time teaches us powerful grief can well up at any time with no warning. The holidays even trigger deep sorrow, the deepest grief years later. This Thanksgiving will be the 10th since Victoria was killed. I remember well the mental energy expended on how to face that first Thanksgiving without her alive. She died in May, so by November, my thoughts about her life and its ongoing absence from ours had begun to develop a rhythm, a pattern. As firsts approached, I revisited the lasts. The last movie we saw together, her last visit home to New England for Thanksgiving 2013, my last visit with her in Chicago where she lived, our last shopping trip, the last time I saw her, Easter Sunday, in South Bend, Indiana, 2014, our last cup of coffee, our last walk together, and then the last time I talked to her, and our last text. I revisited those last repeatedly in my mind and frequently recorded them in detail in my journal, so much so the details and dates remain emblazoned in my mind today. We had already endured her birthday in late September, she would have been 27. We were prepared for that day to be a painful reminder of all we had lost, 
So my husband and I decided to remember her by eating two of her favorite foods for dinner, grilled cheese sandwiches and mint chocolate chip ice cream. We even thought we had come up with the perfect venue. Growing up, our daughters, along with so many kids from our town, went to Friendly's, an iconic New England chain known for being the type of restaurant parents take their young kids to to learn how to behave when eating in public. Later on, those same children would go there after getting their licenses or on high school dates. And so, to our local Friendly's, we headed that September 29th. Our choice of venue turned out to be incongruous with the comfort we sought. Imagine a grief-stricken couple in their 50s, seated at a table amidst worn naugahyde booths under glaringly bright lights, surrounded by boisterous children having too much fun to listen to their parents pleading with them to use inside voices. Our meal of processed American cheese barely melted, untoasted, but somehow still gushy white bread provided us little comfort. As painful, difficult, and unsatisfying that first attempt at remembering and honoring Victoria was, we had tried. I reminded myself that Victoria always had a great sense of irony, and so I could imagine her laughing at the scene that had just unfolded. And I thought of her offering the encouraging words, It's a start, and it did give us the seeds of ritual to remember, honor, and celebrate her in future years at future milestones. On the car ride home from Friendly's, we agreed going forward we would celebrate her birthday at home. I'd make the sandwiches, and the ice cream would come from Crescent Ridge, our town's renowned dairy, one of Victoria's favorite places. Each year since then, we have had grilled cheese sandwiches and mint chip ice cream on her birthday. Sometimes it has been just the two of us. Sometimes a close friend or two would join us, often with a half gallon of Crescent Ridge mint chip in hand. More often, especially now that both of her sisters have settled in New England, they and their families join us. This year, her 36th birthday and our 10th celebration without her, eight of us enjoyed made-to-order gourmet grilled cheese sandwiches with up to three types of cheeses on sourdough bread purchased at Ward's Berry Farm, where Victoria held her first job. Victoria's sisters, their husbands, and our two young grandsons joined us. I marveled at how our family had grown since her death when everything felt so shrunken, lost. The little boys, not quite three and a half and 15 months, brought a levity to our gathering that almost overshadowed why we had gathered. And it was okay that the joy they bring to our lives overpowered the solemnity of that occasion. As the leaves began to change color and the days shortened, bringing colder weather, I braced myself for our first Thanksgiving without Victoria. In her final years, she had entered the working world and living a thousand miles from us could only make the trip to the Northeast once. She always chose Thanksgiving, for it was the one we hosted, celebrated in our home, and did it big. The tables set with china, crystal, and silver, reconfiguring the dining room to fit in the two dozen or so family members and friends so we could all be in the same room. We feasted and laughed, expressed gratitude for all we had, for each other, 
And so her absence that first one felt immense, unbearable. How to make room for our grief, collective and individual. How to include her memory as a presence among us and yet allow for the possibility for those in attendance to celebrate. The early returns on who would attend gave me hope that it would be okay, even if we weren't. There were two reasons for this. First, a friend of hers from each decade of her life would be among us. To me, their presence encompassed the span of her lifetime, and their bravery in attending symbolized the enduring gift of friendship, the significance Victoria had in their lives. The second had to do with place cards. Victoria always wrote the place cards for me in her distinctive handwriting. Any year a new guest would join us, she'd dutifully create a card for them. It turned out everyone who was coming that first year had been with us for at least one Thanksgiving in the past. We would use her place cards again. How I clung to those small two-by-three cards that had adorned our table in years past. They were tangible proof that a part of her would celebrate with us that day. As the mother in the family, I had found myself measuring my grief while paying attention to the other members of my immediate family, how to honor my needs and leave space for my husband's, her sister's. Our youngest was 20 years old when her sister died, just finishing her sophomore year at the University of Notre Dame. In the fall of her junior year, just a few months after Victoria died, she agreed to videotape a message of joy for the university's Advent messaging during the holiday season to the greater Notre Dame family. Her message. I think this season is about light and hope. It's the way my sister Victoria lived her life, being light and hope and love. I think as a family, we've decided to celebrate the people who are still with us at our table, but we're also going to continue to do the things she loved, just so we can remember her for the things we loved about her. She will be as much a part of our table as she was in the past. So without a doubt, my family will all share a bowl of mint chip ice cream, her favorite. When I heard this message from her, I knew mint chip ice cream would be a long-lasting way we would remember Victoria. What I didn't grasp was that in finding this tangible way to celebrate her, we also allowed others a way to both honor and remember her themselves and to show us comfort, love, and support as we continued and continue to grieve. This ritual of remembering Victoria with mint chip ice cream enables us to find little pockets of joy amidst our sorrow time and again, and it also allows us to let others in to comfort us. Yes, it carried through to Christmas that first year. I was feeling more withdrawn, my grief sitting both deep within me and on the surface. Christmas was always smaller and quieter. As I said, in her last years, Victoria was unable to join us, having opted to come home at Thanksgiving. And so I had to grow accustomed to missing her, wishing she were with us, and yet finding ways to still celebrate. Her death emphasized my struggle. The option of her one day returning was forever gone now. 
Feeling out of sync with the joy that season, I was surprised when our doorbell rang mid-afternoon Christmas Eve. I was stunned when the delivery man handed me four half gallons of mint chip ice cream, compliments of the athletic department at the University of Notre Dame. They had listened, they had remembered, they cared. That simple gesture helped me realize that our life mattered far beyond our immediate family. You see, that is something we grievers crave, an acknowledgement our loved one's life touched others, that they are remembered for their uniqueness, who they were. We want to hear their name said and to be told stories about how they touched others' lives. And yes, we continue to want those things years later. Sorting through these memories, I wondered how others faced those first holidays in deep grief. I didn't really have a platform to ask the question, but recently through Facebook, I have met Liz Newman, an author who through her grieving process after her father died, has published two poetry books. I look to the morning sky and I look to the gentle rain. In fact, Liz will be a guest in an upcoming episode. Anyway, as so often has happened throughout my grieving, the moment I discover I need something, it comes my way. Shortly after, I wondered what others who had endured loss do to face the upcoming holiday, Liz posted the question. In response, a woman named Erin replied, I put up a small separate tree after my 17-year-old daughter Emily died by suicide in 2021. We call it the Emmy tree. We ask our family and close friends to buy an ornament each year to place on the tree that reminds them of Emmy. We have gotten so many unique ornaments, and everyone tells a story on why their ornament reminds them of her, which helps us include Emily into our holiday. Of course, Aaron and I have now spoken. In fact, we discovered another ritual unique to our two families that occurred early on in our grieving process. But that, as they say, is a story for another day. May these holidays, whatever you celebrate, be gentle on you, and may you find your way to a sliver of light and hope as you go through the process of grounding your grief. Thank you for listening to this episode.